Welcome to Millennial 737. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. And on today's episode, we will be discussing a major strike that might happen in Hollywood. Then we'll look at our political compasses and we'll discuss the renewed attention on Britney Spears. And I'm going to be asking if we're all hypocrites on that front because I kind of feel like everybody is. But hey, 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 before we get started, don't forget to make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you get every episode when we release it, typically on Tuesday afternoons. And if that app allows reviews, please do leave us one. Laura, we have a couple updates to start the show with before we get into our topics. Yeah, so the FDA has recently officially approved booster shots of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for people aged 65 and older and certain immunocompromised individuals. So if you received um, two doses of Pfizer's vaccine earlier this year and you fall into one of those groups um, or you think you might, definitely talk to your doctor. See if you're eligible. I know President Biden announced today or yesterday that he's going to be getting his booster shot soon. If he not got already. his on camera today, Monday. <sighs> excellent. It was Love excellent, it. but it was like a close-up shot of his arm and his upper arm is like weirdly really hairy. So I kind of regret <laughs> looking at that photo. But anyway, oh, I love somebody the hot else. Take. <laughs> That, that was my takeaway from him getting shot three. Oh, that arm is really hairy. Speaking of people who are probably eligible, Donald Trump, and he had some embarrassing news this week, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, for anyone who wasn't paying attention, he lost the 2020 election in Arizona again. Oh, so that was cool. Um, Arizona held yet another audit. I don't know if that represents the fifth or sixth attempt at um, Republicans recounting uh, votes in Arizona from an election that was almost a year ago at this point. But yeah, he lost again. Shock and awe. And they (laughs) added, I think, a good 300 votes to Biden's tally. So he (laughs) lost even harder. It's the ultimate self-own. It really is. Hey, hey, (laughs) let's take a bet right now. How long do we think um, Trump is going to be endorsing audits and recounts of the 2020 election. I think that the 2024 election will be happening. I think he'll be attempting to run in it and he'll still be disputing the 2020 election. Oh, he's going to do it even when he's six feet under. We'll put our <laughs> ear up to the ground and we'll still hear him talking about recounts and stuff. It's what do you predict? His last will and testament. I leave this much money to the efforts to make sure <laughs> that I did you not hear me down here. It's, you hear me down here. It's rigged. It's rigged. Anybody hear me? Anybody hear me? Speaking of people who are incredibly egotistical, a little off, Tiger King is coming back November 17th for a full second season. That show was easily one of my favorite shows of 2020. It made the pandemic just a little bit better because it was so entertaining to watch. But here's the thing. Netflix says it will have, quote, just as much mayhem and madness as the first season. I don't believe it. No way. Nothing can live up to that first season. Right? Isn't he still in jail? Yes, he's still in jail, I think. So they released a little teaser and we see him like talking over the phone. So how exciting can that be? Wasn't he in jail? While they were filming the first one, too, or like part of it? Yes. 
Right. So. The reason they had so much footage of Tiger King, if I remember correctly, outside of jail is because wasn't somebody else filming a documentary about him or something like I that? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, right. no. He had that damn TV he, channel. Yeah, he right? was the doing YouTube his own channel. the YouTube thing. Yeah. <laughs> he had his own film crew. <laughs> he does seem like the type that would allow a documentarian to have access to all of that footage, though, doesn't God, he? God, that was awesome. <laughs> I love that guy. But anyway... Do you think Trump should have pardoned him? Oh, I'm sure that's going to be a focus of this new season, right? Because Tiger King was begging Trump. Yeah, he's going to be like, why didn't Trump pardon me? (laughs) That bitch Donald. (laughs) 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 So yeah, November 17th. I I guess I'm cautiously optimistic. Do you guys remember when Nicolas Cage was going to play Tiger King? He dropped out. Yeah, I he didn't did. realize he had dropped out. Yeah, I know. He Real said bummer. he said oh, that, that Amazon had shelved that project altogether, but maybe now that they know Tiger King 2 is coming, they'll revisit it. Maybe. Yeah, let's hope so. Because that I gotta seems... be honest with you, that is perfect casting. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Not to be confused with the other Tiger King show that's also being made with uh, Kate McKinnon. As Carol Baskin, because there's is two. that still happening? Yes. Too? Oh man, so much tiger fever. Also, perfect casting. I couldn't Absolutely. think of who would be better. I know, I know that'll be so great. Now I want to watch that uh, Tiger King song that he shot himself about Carol. Here, kitty, oh, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> Well, you can't. You can never forget the uh, the hit. You know, and I saw a tiger and a tiger saw a man. <laughs> it is unreal. Everybody can, if you haven't, please go on YouTube and go to the Tiger King's real YouTube channel. Joe Exotic TV is the name of the channel. All his work is up there. Well, we got an email from listener Tara that really resonated with me and that I just wanted to share because it made me laugh out loud, but it also made me feel things. So Tara said, I had a realization today that I'm an old and it rattled me. A 20 year old said they think of anyone over 30 as a boomer and it hit me. Wow. I'm viewed as an old. I mean, they're wrong, obviously, but it just made me realize that even though I'm not quite an old, I'm most definitely not one of the youths. The youths, like my Gen Z e-boy neighbors across the street, always out on their balcony with their black and pink middle parted hair and Y2K emo striped shirts, who probably look over here and think, there's that old again, vacuuming her cement patio and misting her plants like an old. I'm telling you all this to say thank you. Thank you for creating a podcast and a space for everyone in between the olds and the youths to feel like they belong somewhere, have people that understand where they're coming from, and aren't in this weird limbo alone. You're welcome, Tara. And Tara, thank you for this email. I legitimately laughed out loud when I was reading about your neighbor. We should talk about some time moments where we do actually feel old that could be a fun discussion but i have to say vacuuming your cement patio they must have like a a shark or something yeah i would use a broom personally but maybe that makes me older i feel where tara is coming from 
when I was in my 20s or in my teens, I used to, when I would hear that somebody's 30 or older, I would be like, ew, that is old. We've all been there, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I specifically think of like, there were times when I was younger and I would get on Grindr. By the way, I only had one Grindr hookup in my life. This was not a habit of mine actually hooking up with people I met on Grimer. Not that there's any shame in that. But my point is I would go on Grindr and I would see people who are ages, you know, 30 35 even 40 and i would be like that's a whole world away from me there's no way i would hook up with a 30 year old (laughs) now i'm like oh shit (laughs) see it's funny because when i was young you know 10 years ago at this point in my early 20s i was very much attracted to the idea of dating someone older and i definitely did that in a couple of cases but i always was like yeah i'm probably going to end up with someone older I'm just, I'm so mature like that. Here I am now. And um, Mark is two years my junior and consistently <laughs> loves to be like, call me a cougar. <laughs> Things like that. That's hilarious. Um, and when, you know, because I turned 30 and he was still in his 20s and he would constantly be like, oh, yeah, like when you turn 30, it just, you're old, babe. You're just old now. Um, but I do remember that feeling of being in my early 20s and being like 30 feels forever away. It felt like it was never going to get here. I was so far away from it. And now that I've had the perspective of, you know, living a life, you know, it's like, oh, that's a, a decade is not that long. I've had three serious relationships Two, the person was older than me just by a little bit. And then current relationship, Pat, younger than me. I've dated both. And um, my my last more serious relationship was uh, a couple of years younger, um, which just kind of ended up happening by accident. And I think ever since then, it kind of put into perspective that it's not really the end all be all if you yeah. don't date anybody like exactly your age. Not at yeah. all. Yeah. Especially once you're, you know, fully into adulthood, you're like in your mid to late 20s, early 30s, a couple of years just doesn't make a difference. I don't think of Mark as being younger than me, even though he is. It very much feels like we're in the same bracket, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. That's what it really comes down to as well is just like if the person is essentially like emotionally mature enough to align with where you are in your life yeah i guess school plays a big factor too like when you're going through high school or college age can be a factor because it's like well one of us is about to leave school and then we're going to be seeing each other a lot less and you might be going off to college or vice versa and after college it's it matters a lot less there's also the fact that you know Age and emotional maturity are not necessarily the same thing because I've definitely known people who were, you know, a good deal older than me who were emotionally stunted themselves. So, oh, yeah. Well, Pam, why don't you kick us off with our first main story today? Yes. So, one of the things that we wanted to talk about on this episode is the looming potential Yahtzee strike. Uh, so that might not seem like anything that anybody really has to pay much attention to, especially if you're not part of the entertainment industry, but it'll still affect you if they actually end up striking because it could mean that a lot of your favorite TV shows will have shortened seasons. It could mean that we might not see a lot of movies 
uh, hitting their intended release dates that they had been slated for before, uh, because this uh, uh, has to do with all of the people that work tirelessly behind the scenes to to make all of your favorite things uh, become reality and and hit the screens that you watch those things on. So for those of you that don't know, EOTC stands for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and they are one of the largest major labor unions for film, theater, and television. Uh, the workers that are a part of Yahtzee are preparing to strike, and it's a huge group of people. They represent about 150,000 workers across 12 Hollywood locals. Um, again, these are people working behind the scenes on the things that you love to watch, including people in costume, hair and makeup. Uh, you have people that are grips and lighting experts that are a part of this union, also people in craft services and writing assistants as well. So strike could see all of these individuals walking off sets nationwide if major studio producers don't meet their needs um, and the, the needs that they are asking for. And a lot of it is also really basic stuff. Uh, but one thing that is especially interesting is that much of the current conversation is actually fueled by negotiation over rates and or benefits for work on streaming projects. So titles coming out of Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus, things like that. Uh, currently, streaming projects are still valued at lower rates for workers because they're classified as new media, which is kind of silly to think of it that way, because a lot of these have been around for many, many years. Netflix has been around for about 13 now, and clearly they're dominating these traditional spaces. The Emmys were about two weeks ago now. Ted Lasso cleaned up really nicely over at Apple TV+. Plus. There were so many Netflix titles that were nominated, so it's clear that they're the not the underdog anymore. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about some of the priorities that the uh, Yahtzee workers are, are looking for here. Uh, first of all, they're asking for uh, better living wages. They're arguing that the incredibly profitable companies like Apple, Amazon, Netflix should all pay industry standard wages to crew instead of getting to take advantage of cut rates negotiated when they were still emerging. Uh, they're looking for sustainable benefits, so pensions that reflect the cost of living increases and making sure those benefits remain stable and well-funded. They're also asking for reasonable rest, and this is a big one, and also one of the major points that you might have seen floating around on social media over the course of the past few weeks. So under the reasonable rest uh, demand, they're looking for better turnaround time between shoot days, weekend rest periods to recoup and spend time with family and friends. And they're also looking for penalties uh, to be brought forth on employers that would discourage employers from el eliminating meal breaks, meaning that these people could actually, you know, get a chance to sit down and eat something instead of working 15 hours straight. Um, from the official communication with union members on the 7th of September, they said reasonable rest demands that employers not treat our our members like machines that can just work until they are broken and then be replaced. Everyone needs and deserves a real and meaningful rest period between shifts to provide for a decent night's sleep. No other industry deprives its employees of enough time to drive to and from work and get eight hours of sleep every work day, week after week after week. Um, some of the stories that have been posted specifically to this one Instagram account um, are just harrowing. It's nothing that I've never heard before. Andrew, I know that you're also in the entertainment industry. I'm sure that you've heard some of these crazy working conditions for people that are, you know, bottom of the barrel before yeah. as well. 
Yeah. And this Instagram account is IA underscore stories. This account is blown up. 122,000 people are following it. And they receive stories from people working in the industry about primarily the long ass hours they are working. You'll hear about 17, 18 hour days of work. And then you got to think of commuting to and from home, trying to eat, trying to shower, trying to relax a little bit. This leaves 17, 18 hour days leave no time for somebody to have a life. And it's really sad to see, especially because these companies who are underpaying are these companies who have so much money. I did a little Google. Apple's got nearly $300 billion of cash just laying around. And they're trying to get these reduced rates because they're new and because they have under 20 million subscribers. That is mind-blowing. They have the money to support a living wage. Of course, it's kind of commonplace for them to underpay people, particularly people who build their phones and other devices in China and other countries. But it's really sickening to see that we all know Apple, Amazon, Netflix have had so much success, even outside of uh, the TV and film industry. They've got the money to, to pay these people. And what's funny about that is if you go and look at, you know, Apple on Glassdoor, or if you look at employment through Apple, they boast about all of these great benefits they give their employees. And Apple, I know from firsthand experience, loves to boast about the work-life balance that they empower their employees to, um, you know, have. But it seems like interesting that the work-life balance isn't a priority for the people who are more behind the scenes, apparently, in the case of these workers. I almost kind of feel like that's part of the mindfuck. Um, In the entertainment industry, you are often made to believe that you have to work hard to win hard. And so you know, you're desperate to do anything to prove yourself. And you just keep thinking, if I can just do this one more thing, then maybe I'll crack in and I'll be able to, you know, be one step closer to doing this other thing that I really want to do. Um, and, and and then at the same time, you have so many people that are, you know, in managerial positions, reminding you that you're expendable, because everybody wants to be where you are. And if you can't cut it, then we'll just find somebody else who will take this job and happily do what we're asking you to do. And they'll take the pay that we're, you know, offering and not ask for any more. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. Right. So you might be listening to this and wondering, well, why are people dealing with this? Just work somewhere else. The thing is, people move to Hollywood with this grand dream of, you know, becoming a writer, becoming a producer, a director, becoming an actor. And you got to start at the bottom in so many cases. And this is why people stick out the long hours. And of course, they're hoping that things change and things just never do. So thinking about like, why now then if this has been a problem for as long as Hollywood has been a thing? Why are these demands being made now? Is it inspired by the pandemic? I know a lot of workers across a variety of industries have started unionizing and making more demands in light of the fact that the pandemic 
really shown a light on all of the cracks that already exist in our systems and how broken and flawed so much of this is. Is that what's happening with these workers, Pam? Yes, I definitely think that that's a huge part of it. A lot of them have been asked to work through the pandemic, obviously, because if not, then we wouldn't be seeing a lot of these TV shows still coming out, you know, or even some movies still coming out. Um, I think the other part of it, too, because the the streaming factor is so entangled into what is being discussed for this particular strike. Um, I think it's possible as well that they're uh, feeling a little bit emboldened with, you know, some larger names like Scarlett Johansson talking about the injustice of being promised royalties from box office ticket sales, but then having Black Widow move over to streaming and not getting a cut of that pie when Disney is pocketing all that money and not having to dish out any of that revenue to movie theaters at all. Um, so I think it all kind of factors in to what's happening right now with this. There's a lot of momentum at play, it seems like. I really think this Instagram account's bringing a lot of attention to this issue. And then you see everybody in Hollywood sharing this Instagram account and all these posts yeah. because they're shocking stories that you're not used to seeing outside of this industry. Yeah. But you also see stories in this IA stories Instagram account about people who simply are trying to get paid for the real hours that they worked and they get pushback from their bosses because of certain types of work. It's, you know, going to run some errands for the crew or something like that. Their bosses will actually give them a hard time about being paid for that work because they're on tight budgets from these studios and these production companies. It's all so broken. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I think that's one of the things that people don't realize too. Like you look at a, a budget for like per episode of Game of Thrones, which is a couple of million dollars at least. And you think, wow, that's so much money. But it's really not when you think about the fact that that budget has to pay for everything. So it's not just the special effects, which probably, you know, eats up a good chunk of it. It's also, you know, paying the actors and paying all of these other people, too, that do things like lighting, special effects, editing, post editing. Yeah. Sound. And of course, these actors alone get a big portion of that yes. budget. I mean, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. Right. So I guess that's a way they can do their part. Be like, hey, right, exactly. I don't Give up need some of their money. Million. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I it really feels like the strike is going to happen, right, Pam? It definitely feels that way. Uh they're set to vote, I believe, the first of October. So just in a couple of days. And perhaps um we'll have an update for you guys next episode. Because I believe from what I was reading, it's going to take a couple of days to count all of the votes. So we should be hearing either way on um, or around October 4th. Mm -hmm. I just I can't get over how Apple and Netflix are like, oh, you know, this all started because we were new. We weren't sure if this was going to work out. Well, now, you know, especially Netflix. I know Netflix was on the forefront of this. So at the very beginning, OK, maybe you genuinely genuinely didn't know if it was going to work out. But Apple, Amazon, Hulu, these others, they knew that their streaming platforms were going to work out. Clearly, or they wouldn't be like dishing out all these multi-year, multi-million dollar deals to these right. big directors and actors. Right. And my final point I want to make on this, I think I saw this on social media, is that we always see like you brought up the Emmys, Pam. 
we see we see the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. That is not the real Hollywood. It's all these people who are actually making it happen behind the scenes and they are suffering. Ignore all the pomp and circumstance that we see with the Emmys, the Oscars, all red carpets. It's all bullshit. That's like 0.1% of what Hollywood is. Yeah. But you don't know that because that's no. all you see, right? No. It's like it's just like covering a red carpet too. Every like my family's always like, oh, it's so glamorous. You're gonna go to this red carpet. It's like, yeah, but I'm gonna stand there like a sardine for eight hours. Yeah, right. And half the stars <laughs> might ignore me and yeah, exactly. people are going to get mad at me. Other press mm-hmm. are going to get mad that, you know, I'm in their spot by like an I'm inch. I'm going to have and- to try and make friends with people around me so they don't cut off my frame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, more to get to today. But first, we have a new sponsor here at Millennial, Quip. I've been using Quip's excellent dental care products for a while, and they've got a really cool new feature I want to tell you about. Rewards for brushing your teeth. When's the last time you actually got rewarded for brushing your teeth by someone other than your own mouth? With Quip's smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip smart brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, track when and how well you brush, and get tips and coaching to improve your habits. Earn points for daily brushing and bonus points for completing challenges like streaks. Then you can redeem these points for rewards like free products, gift cards, and discounts from Quip and partners. Beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine like mint and watermelon toothpaste mm, and floss that expands to clean, and it comes in a refillable dispenser to reduce waste. Not to mention the refillable mouthwash that's good for you and the planet. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today. Go to getquip.com slash M-I-L-L right now to save $10 on a Quip Smart Electric Toothbrush. That's $10 off a Smart Electric Toothbrush at getquip.com slash M-I-L-L. Join over 5 million mouths who use Quip and save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes. They're also expensive. Quip's so cheap. Just $45 to get the Quip Smart Brush. Again, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash M-I-L-L. Please check them out because all their products are really well done. Quip is the good habits company. All right. What's up next, Laura? So I thought it would be interesting for us to have a political story this week that is less focused on current affairs and the kinds of headlines that you would see um, on your preferred news site and more to really dig in on our own beliefs and kind of examine where we are politically at this point in time. So there is a test that you can take. It's called the political compass test, and we've all taken it ahead of today's recording. And we'll link to it in the show notes, and we're going to be sharing our results. Um, What I really like about this test is that it's not just measuring you on a spectrum of liberal to conservative. It's looking at different quadrants of political beliefs. So you're looking at things like, um, you know, liberal to conservative, but you're also looking at authoritarianism to libertarianism and being scored somewhere between those four things. And the way the test works is it gives you a series of statements and you have to state uh, whether you strongly disagree to strongly agree with that statement. And those are kind of used to plot you on this really neat chart 
Um, and I know we've all taken screenshots, so we might be able to share some of those. But just to give a little disclaimer for anyone who's maybe listening live with us or wants to take the test later, um, the test is not a survey. And what you're reading here are not questions. They're propositions. Um, so to question the logic of an individual one that irritates you is to miss the point. Um, some propositions are extreme and some are moderate. That's how the test is able to show you whether you lean towards extremism or moderation on the compass. Um, so your responses should not be overthought. Some of them are intentionally vague, and their purpose is to trigger reactions in the mind, measuring feelings and prejudices rather than detailed opinions on policy. And this is something y'all probably picked up on because there are a lot of statements in this test that aren't in and of themselves inherently policy oriented. It's not asking your opinion on, you know, um, NAFTA, for example, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's not how this test works. Um, so it's really looking at attitudes. So I thought what we could do first, I asked everybody to note some of the propositions, some of the statements that they found either very interesting or kind of difficult to answer. You kind of had to wrestle with how you felt about that thing. And looking at the three of us right now, it seems like we had some overlap. There were some things that kind of stuck out to us. And the first thing that I'm seeing is that all three of us highlighted the statement, no one chooses their country of birth, so it's foolish to be proud of it. I'm curious, why did this one resonate with us so much? Why was this one that we wanted to talk about today? For me, I just never had really thought about it this way. But mm. I have always been curious about extremely patriotic people, people's motivations for, you know, patriotism. A lot of times these people are super loud. Um, they're usually also the ones that get really mad if you ever say anything that might go against... You know, the idea that America, for example, is the best country on earth. But thinking of it this way, it's just kind of like, well, yeah, it's like, why Why do you actually believe this? You know, what? what is it about this country that inherently makes you feel like you you have some sort of tie to it? Because people leave their their country of birth all the time. And some people even leave America, even though they were born here. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of silly to assume and strongly believe that you just happened to be born in the best country, or it's foolish to feel like you should be so proud of it. And this goes for all countries, not just America. Typically, whatever country you're born in, you are probably so proud of it. And it's like, why exactly? It kind of reminds me of like a sports team. Yes. You get so excited and so invested in your local sports teams. Those players are only there because they were paid to be there. They're not born and raised in that town or that area. They're only there for the cash. I, I wonder if they feel much pride for the local city. Maybe if they're there for like a decade or more, but they move around quite often. So I would love to hear what sports players, maybe people have spoken about this before, what sports players actually think about all the team pride. Yeah. Well, what do you two think of it? No one chooses their country of birth, so it's foolish to be proud of it. 
Because this one stuck out to me, I think, because I felt a little bit conflicted as to how to answer it. Because I said strongly agree. Okay. I also said strongly agree. Okay. It's interesting. I did. I said disagree. I didn't say strongly oh, disagree, but I said disagree on this one. And I don't know. I was grappling with it because I, I have, I mean, obviously I have a lot of criticisms of this country, mm-hmm. um, but I'm still very glad to be from here. It's beautiful. I Well, I mean, there are redeemable qualities I think you could make yeah. an argument about almost anything, but it got me to thinking about like um, Costa Rica is a great example of this. There is a lot of national pride in Costa Rica because of the natural beauty, um, the like ecotourism that exists there. The fact that Costa Rica doesn't have a military, they abolished their military in the 1940s. And there's a great national pride in that, that they do not have a military. There's a great national pride in like pacifism that comes for them. So to me, I was like, I can understand why someone would be proud to be from there. Um, And, you know, there are things about the United States that I can understand being proud of. But I guess it's hard for me to say one way or another like it, you can't make it an absolute, right? It's not a binary thing. It's not like you're proud or you hate it. <laughs> Most of us mm-hmm. are somewhere in the middle. I guess what trips me up is I know there are people out there, many, many people who are proud to be in an American simply because they were born here. They don't right. need to explain it other than that. I think that's what kind of tripped me up as well because because you're right, Andrew. There's so many people that are just like, inherently proud to be American and are hyper patriotic with no like real reason why on one side or the other. They just say, oh, America's great. It's better than every other country. But then when you ask them, why is it better than every other country? They can't ever really answer you. Mm-hmm. So right. it's just kind of odd. <laughs> yeah. And they might say a couple things, but they yeah. probably can't speak to how this compares to other countries. Right. In the world. Exactly. Right. Well, people who operate in that mindset will probably give you an answer like freedom. You know, the fact that we have freedom makes us the greatest. And it's like, well, actually a lot of countries, in fact, most countries have freedom. Um, So it doesn't make us inherently special. But I think what's really cool about this is because there are no right or wrong answers here. It's all about perspective. So it says something that you know, when we're asked this kind of question, it triggers these kind of responses for us. Like we're we're kind of immediately thinking of the the types that kind of wear their patriotism on their sleeves. And that's super frustrating. And it kind of colors the way that you think about national pride, right? Yeah, it does. But then Andrew made a really good point with the sports teams and like, the only reason I root for the Giants, who I'm going to go to a game tomorrow, is because Ooh. my family roots for the Giants. Oh yeah, so it's right. The same thing. Listen, you know? I'm I'm a fan of Atlanta United, and it's only because I'm from Atlanta. So it is yeah. kind of the same thing. <laughs> I guess now I have more respect for people who like live in a certain town and root for a team that's in a completely different town. Sometimes like, there's reason for that, though. Like, for example, yeah. the Giants and um, and also the Dodgers were originally a New York based team. So you find a lot of pockets of 
people in New York that still root for both of those teams, even though they don't yeah. live on the West Coast. So I just think of like my uncle is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. He's never lived in Texas. He grew up yeah. in Pennsylvania. I have no clue why he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> is there a team fan. in Pennsylvania? Yeah, the Eagles. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a team. Have free reign because they don't have a team, especially no. football. It's such a smaller pool. So, Pam, you and I had one in common um, that really stuck out to us that I wanted us to talk about. And, Andrew, I definitely want your take here as well, because you have young nephews. Um, Good parents sometimes have to spank their children. I said agree because I got spanked as a kid and I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) So I, um, I said disagree but again and maybe i'm just reading too much into it because i was also spanked as a kid and i also turned out fine and i don't think that spanking inherently makes somebody a good or a bad parent there are certainly i think degrees of severity that make it more more serious and like if if somebody was like beating your kid with a belt <laughs> is something a good parent does i might answer the question differently right but like when i think of a spanking i think everybody thinks of spankings a little bit different too cuz like i don't remember spankings being like super traumatic <laughs> as a child but i also know that we're in kind of a different stage right now where spanking is something that is kind of a a gray area for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I think that it definitely like I understand why it's a hot button issue for people. But I think like, you know, like you, we were not um, I don't have like traumatic um, memories of being spanked. So I'm sure that it would be different for people that that do or that know people that do. And we weren't even spanked that often at all. No, neither was I. Yeah. Sometimes it was just like the, well, you might get spanked if you don't do this. And it was just like the idea of it that was like, okay, well, like, I I would prefer not to get spanked today. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just be a good kid. I mean, when I look back on the occasions where I got spanked, it's because I was being a little shit. Yeah, me too. And I needed to shape up. Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, anything bad. It was like, you're throwing a temper tantrum Mm -hmm. in a public place because you're not getting what you want. And if you don't stop, you're going to get swatted. Yeah. But I don't think, yeah. So like, I think I I kind of read this as like, kind of almost the opposite, which is that there are a, a large number of people, a growing number of people, I should say, that assume that like, you know, it's bad parenting to spank your children. And I don't necessarily think that you're a bad parent if you choose to spank your child. Yeah, I agree that's with that. Interesting. Yeah, because I was so I was reading it. But that also doesn't mean that you're like a good parent if you don't. Right. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. So it was. Yeah. I was kind of coming at it from the opposite viewpoint where I was like, I mean, you don't need to spank your kids. There are other ways that you can discipline them. But just because you do doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. No. Yeah. I think I said disagree on this one just because I know there have been a lot of studies in recent years about the effectiveness of spanking. So I kind of just left it at that. If my sister or brother-in-law did it to their kids, I might say, like, did you have to? But like you too, I was also spanked as a kid, sometimes with a belt. And I think it worked. 
So, and like Pam said, I turned out all right. But I will just acknowledge there are studies that show it's not the best way to right, like handle we're, a we're child. learning, right? I mean, it's right. It, it's really, I think, sometimes easy for people to apply like 2021 logic to, you know, the 1990s. It's really easy right now to have an opinion on spanking and to apply it to what everyone was doing in the 90s and say, oh, look at these horrible parents when it's like, well, nobody knew. Nobody knew back then. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it really does come down to a case by case basis. Like I'm just looking over at the discord and there are a lot of people with with, uh, varying opinions, a lot of them different from our own. If I had a kid right now, I don't it would not be like my first thought to to spank them. I don't think I agree with just like spanking without warning. But I also like if it works for you and your parenting style, like I don't think it's bad personally i definitely right but all all children are different you know like some some children need um different kinds of discipline like obviously like you know like there are also like special needs kids that you know don't respond well to to that or you know need to be like explained to instead and i think that that's okay too you know i definitely remember getting the warning and the way that um my mom always did it was she would look me square in the eye and be like, do we need an attitude adjustment? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, of course, nine times out of ten, I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Right, exactly. <laughs> Mainly because it's embarrassing more than anything. It's not, you know, at least in my case, it was nothing that was like physically painful. It was just embarrassing <laughs> to have it happen. And like, to be fair, like, even though I, I did mention that I was spanked, like my, my mom was also very similar in the way that it was like, well, if you're misbehaving, then we're just going to go home. And the idea of just like going home and not being able to do the fun thing was usually enough to to get my brother and I to shape up. Yeah, exactly. right. Or you're not going to get a toy. You're not going right. to get the happy meal that you exactly. want. Stuff like that. I've got a couple more that I want to drill in on and then we can go over some results. Um, one that really stuck out for me that I'm curious to hear y'all's perspective on was the death penalty should be an option in the most serious cases. Yeah, I I hit at least agree on that one. Just because I feel like if you murder somebody, you should uh, be tried for the death penalty. I think you shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. I know this is a hot button issue, but that's my take. I said, um, and by get away with it, I mean, do you really deserve to live after purposely killing somebody yourself? My issue with with the death penalty, and this is also why I I just um, I just like ended up hitting disagree with it, is that I I don't think that we figured out how to to do this in a humane way in our society, and there have been like mm. countless. Um, studies done on this that like even you know lethal injection is not a humane way to to end somebody's life and i just like i can't stomach the idea that then if we just choose to do that anyway it really becomes almost like an eye for an eye situation like we don't care that we're causing distress because that person caused distress yeah yeah and it's I also said disagree, but I have to be honest with y'all. I feel like on these questions, agree and disagree as answers, they're kind of like two shades of the same answer, if you will, Mm -hmm. because, you know, if I wanted to say that the death penalty should never be an option, I, I would have said strongly disagree, but I didn't. 
And it's because 99.99% of the time, I disagree with the death penalty. But I don't know that I'm comfortable ruling out the possibility if it's something especially heinous, like think about Osama bin Laden, for example. Obviously, that was, you know, he was taken out in a military um, fashion. But, you know, somebody like that, who does something that heinous, I don't really, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. You know what I mean? Right. Or mass shootings. That's fair. An argument against the death penalty is it's actually more expensive in a lot of cases. It is. That's fair, too. And it's not a deterrent. (laughs) Have studies shown that? If that's true, then... I mean, like, people are still murdering other people, so clearly it's not a deterrent. Yeah. Yeah. Also, people, the reason the death penalty is so expensive is not not because it's so expensive to actually complete the act of lethal injection or whatever. It's that people spend years and years on death row waiting, uh, you know, awaiting sentencing and then awaiting, you know, the ultimate um, death penalty. So, you know, in a lot of cases, people have ended up dying of natural causes long before they would have actually been put to death. So it's it can also be a question of like, is this even an effective is this even effective from a policy standpoint if you took, you know, all morals and ethics out of the conversation? Yeah. And I do uh, agree with Pam's point from a few minutes ago about it should be done humanely, even though I can yeah. be in favor of it. It needs to be done humanely. Of course. So, Well, speaking of that, Andrew, I wanted to ask you about this one that came up for you. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm curious to hear what your that was clever. response was. <laughs> I don't know if I ever thought about it. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I could, I could see, I'm not saying that's always the case, but I'm saying that could be the situation on many occasions. That's all. I didn't think too hard about that one. I That was a strong disagree for me because it's oh, like- really? Yeah, well, because I mean, just because somebody, you know, to me, that stands out as somebody who might be a fair weather friend, you know, it's like, they're a convenient ally to have right now, because you both have the same adversary, but there's no guarantee that in the future, that person wouldn't turn on you. I was just thinking that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So... Let's say my friend's enemy, if my brother-in-law loves Trump and his enemy hates Trump, then that person who hates Trump is my friend. That's just the way I was So Hillary is your friend. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe I'm interpreting this question no, wrong. No, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> no, I don't think a, you are. No, it, the point of it is what your interpretation of the question, like the way you interpret the questions informs the way you answer. And that says something about, you know, the viewpoints that you're bringing to the table, Um, which is why I would encourage anyone to take this, especially, you know, leading up to, we got some midterms coming up next year. It can be good to um, take this test. And even if you've taken it before, I'd recommend taking it again because I know my results have varied over time. I first took this when I was in college And I know my results look pretty different now than they did then. Uh, Pam. Yes. 
people are ultimately divided more by class than by nationality. I'm so curious to hear about this. Oh, yeah, I I picked this one out because it tripped me up in the sense that I feel like sometimes nationality. Well, you know what, now that I'm reading it again, I think I might have um, misconstrued nationality for ethnicity. And I feel like that would be that's almost like one in the same. But I guess even like nationality, if you're if you're born in, say, like a developing country, like the the fact that your country is classified as, you know, developing country, it goes hand in hand, right? Right. There's a lot of overlap. Like your class and your nationality would go hand in hand in that case. What about in this country, though? In this country, I would say that I would strongly agree with that because every most well, actually, no, I take it back because we have a lot of um, immigrants in this country that have not gone through the whole system. So we have a, a multitude of nationalities in this country. And again, like I'm tripped up by this because I do I do I think really feel like Sometimes this goes hand in hand. A lot of times it goes hand in hand. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases it does. I also struggled with this one because I was sitting there being like, okay, but what about the fact that like, you know, the vast majority of wealth is held by a very small group of people and the rest of us are kind of fending for ourselves? You know, is that something that it is it strictly class is nationality part of it if you're from this country nationality is definitely part of right. that equation so i ended up kind of in that like middle like agree disagree mm-hmm. like I, I wasn't willing to place a strong preference on this statement yeah i ended just up because, hitting agree yeah. but i i was mm-hmm. also not a very strong agree it, like, right. i wanted that middle function like that middle button I for this specifically yeah well i think that says something about you know, potentially our perspectives as middle class people too. like we we can speak to <laughs> the middle class experience of living in this country. And maybe we do feel more divided from our countrymen based on class than we do based on, you know, our nationality relative to other people. And that's also kind of a millennial experience, too. Right. Because as a generation, we're pretty global. I mean, We tend to be pretty well-traveled. I know the three of us have been abroad, and so maybe we don't view our nationality as quite as much of a barrier as we view class. Um, Well, I don't mind sharing my results. Hopefully none of us do. Hopefully they're not too embarrassing. (laughs) So I I don't think they're supposed to be embarrassing. As I said earlier, it ranks... um, your results in terms of quadrant. So there's the economic left versus right, and then the social libertarian versus authoritarian. Um, So for economic left to right, I got a negative 6.0. And then for social libertarian slash authoritarian, I got a negative 7.9. So very, uh, very much in that left libertarian quadrant of the uh, compass. But it's a good visual too. So I don't mind sharing for people who are well, why watching. Why don't we post us? it on social media? Okay, that's a great I idea. I think that'll be, and we can take our heads and post them in this little graph, <laughs> <laughs> this chart. Oh, that's so funny with the other politicians. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's such a great idea. And I have to give a shout out to Katie, who so people in the discord have been taking this test as well. And she's been taking everybody's results and putting them into a spreadsheet. (gasps) 
Oh, and that's she fantastic. A graph herself. Amazing. Yeah. So we should post this as well. And we should just add our own numbers. I see Katie already added Laura's numbers to this. <laughs> so so here's mine. Have your keyboard ready. Economic, negative 6.25. So pretty close to you, Laura. And then social, libertarian, authoritarian, negative 3.13. So a little further away from you there. Mine for economic left, right is negative 4.75. And then for social, libertarian, authoritarian, I got negative 5.85. So we're all in the same quadrant. I can't say I'm surprised. No. (laughs) Right. I'm closest to authoritarian, though, so... Yeah, can but be that's surprised by that off power. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the Slytherin. It's you know, it's that's the fact true. That you're our fearless leader. You mm-hmm. have to have some of those it's, tendencies. It's the death penalty. <laughs> I'm, I'm. Well, I mean, I didn't strongly disagree with that. Mm-hmm. With the death penalty, you know, it's the fact that like I'm I'm a hippy dippy. I'm very 420 friendly. <laughs> Oh, there are some um, questions about that in here. You know, yeah. oh yeah, there are. There are questions about abortion and just every kind of social issue you could think of. So super interesting. It's kind of a long test. So do make sure to carve out, I would say like 30 minutes to go through this. It's about six pages of um these statements. Um, but it's super interesting and fun little bonus thing. You can actually plug your results in to a separate tool they have on the website, and it will plot your results alongside a bunch of different political thinkers. Um, so for instance, I can see that my my uh, my score is closest to Gandhi of anyone. Of course. Um, of course. And Thomas Paine. Gandhi and Thomas Paine. That's, nice. that's where I'm at. Yeah, awesome. I love that graphic. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. We can uh, share that on social with our faces. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So uh, Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'll post that in the days ahead. There's some homework for you, Jewel. Thank you in advance. <laughs> oh, I like how Jewel always gets volunteered to create graphics. <laughs> I think she'll this like point. this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, this is like a fun little project. Plus, the listeners <laughs> are involved. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk about what's going on with Britney Spears in a moment. But first, this week's episode is also sponsored by Public.com. This is the app to use when investing in the markets. On Public.com, you can invest with any amount of money. Invest in $1,000 stocks with just $1. The ability to buy slices of shares offers more flexibility on what you can add to your portfolio. I love public.com because the app focuses on giving you the confidence you need to make investments. You can follow people, including Laura and I, to see what we're investing in, and you can see why we're investing in these stocks. I love looking at why people invest in certain stocks because it's great knowing you're not going at this alone, which can often be a feeling you experience in so many aspects of your life, and investing in your future is no different. Public.com makes it easy to invest in companies you believe in. Just do a search for the company and you can learn more about them and why other people are investing. Personally, I love the tech stocks. I'm a nerd, but also we all know that certain tech companies are only going to continue to grow. They really, in so many cases, have nowhere to go but up. Public.com is the easiest and nicest looking stock app, so you won't feel like it's out of your league, unlike other trading apps, which can be so confusing. 
In short, it's the place to go to trade with confidence. I started investing a couple years ago, and I'm so glad I did. It's one way that I'm planning for the future. You can get started with as little as $1, and you'll even get a free slice of stock up to $50 when you join public.com. Just go to public.com slash millennial to download the app and sign up today. Valid for U.S. residents 18 and over, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. All right, so let's talk about Britney Spears. We spoke about her a few months ago when that New York Times stock came out on Hulu. Now, there are two new Britney docs coming out. Both of them are getting a lot of attention. The first is a follow-up to that one on Hulu that I just mentioned. This new one is called Controlling Britney Spears. And among the revelations, one person on Spears' security detail reveals that Britney's phone and home were being surveilled by the conservatorship. They had microphones in the home, according to this person who was working on the security team. Uh, There are some other revelations in this documentary, and this one is out now, just came out a couple days ago. Her close friends were being pushed away from Britney, and any men who entered Britney's life were investigated and asked to sign NDAs. So really terrible stuff. And then there's this other documentary. This one's coming to Netflix tomorrow, Tuesday, September 28th. And we don't know what the revelations are in this documentary, but the trailer has a voicemail left by Britney on a lawyer's phone back in 2009 in which she asks about the process of eliminating the conservatorship. So as we can see from that voicemail, she's been trying to get out for a really long time. Now, this all comes as another important court date looms for Britney. On Wednesday, September 29th, the court will decide whether or not Spears' father will remain her conservator, as has been the case for so long. Of course, we know where this is going. Her father's name is Jamie, and he has asked to no longer be her conservator. That um, occurred a few weeks ago. So what I wanted to talk about today, I haven't seen these new documentaries. I don't think I'm planning on watching. I just gave you the highlights of the Hulu sequel from the New York Times and just reading the highlights was enough for me. I feel like everybody's being hypocrites when it comes to Britney, because we all remember Britney's big breakdown. What was it about 15 years ago now, which put her into this conservatorship to begin with? She had that breakdown because she was being monitored by the paparazzi all the time. The media was all over her. The fans were all over her. She couldn't take it. And of course, who could? So she ends up in this conservatorship. Now she's trying to get out. The media is on her like crazy again. And the fans are too. And I I just keep coming back to that guy. I'm forgetting his name. He did that iconic video. Leave Britney alone. Shouldn't everybody just be leaving Britney alone right now? And don't. Why are these docs happening? And who? Why watch them? We all know where things stand. She wants out. That's all we need to know. Yeah, it is really interesting to have a conversation about this in light of the fact that we know Britney Spears was possibly one of the most exploited um, children in Hollywood during our lifetimes, at least. I mean, I think back on all of the pressure that was on her when, you know, we were kids, you know, we're, we're a little younger than her, but not by much. And I remember there being this like very public conversation about 
her virginity and whether or not she was a virgin. And she was a kid. It was just so inappropriate that grown-ass adults in the media were willing to subject a child to that kind of scrutiny. And the fact that her parents didn't protect her from that just set her up for failure. And I think that, you know, in this country in particular, we love to bear witness to the circus. And some people are perhaps seeing, hey, there might be another circus around Britney Spears. I remember how entertained I was by that before when she had her breakdown and shaved her head, rather than thinking, this is a person who was thrust into the limelight. Um, Not to say that it was against her will, but, you know, she was a minor and she had very pushy stage parents who, you know, got her there. And she wasn't given the kind of support that somebody would need to be able to survive the limelight in that way. I mean, there's a reason that there's a stereotype of child actors flaming out and having these breakdowns. It's because it's too much pressure. And I don't know, it's it's kind of sick that the cycle is repeating itself when she's potentially on the brink of freedom right now. Mm-hmm. It's especially sickening when you think about the fact that all of these people that are buying into these new documentaries are essentially justifying them by saying that it's okay because now we're on Britney's side, but it's still the same thing. You're still prying into somebody's personal life. And, you know, we've talked before about how we don't know a lot about the terms of the conservatorship. A lot of it has been sealed away, which should be a clue that it's personal information that we don't need to know. And so to continue kind of digging in really does kind of feel a bit hypocritical to anybody that, you know, has has been on the the free Britney movement. I think that the the first documentary, which was done by the New York Times, served its purpose. I don't think they need to necessarily go back. Right. And do a whole, you know, second expose. Um, They would be just fine, you know, covering what happens in this upcoming court case. That first documentary was helpful in that it really did bring a lot of attention to the issue. Right. And, you know, her boyfriend, now fiance, Sam Asghari, he said, we have the we have to credit the Free Britney movement, not these documentaries. So it's like, I don't know. I it it's it's complicated who exactly we have to credit. I would definitely credit that first documentary, but we don't need more documentaries. CNN's doing something too. It's it's all just for It's clickbait. It's clickbait. Yeah. Enough at this point. You know, obviously she's a celebrity, she's in the limelight. There's never going to be a reality where her business is not discussed openly. But I think there's a way to do it responsibly. I mean, approaching it from the lens of this was a case where somebody was being exploited, you know, again, and being put in this conservatorship against their will. I think looking at it through maybe that kind of legal framework can be helpful in an effort to make sure something like that doesn't happen again. But in terms of digging into the nitty gritty 
of her personal life, you know, whether or not she wants to have another baby or whether or not she wants to get married or all of these little like ancillary details are really not anyone's business. So I think that, you know, the best way that people can respect Britney's privacy moving forward is only looking into details that she herself shares. She herself feels comfortable disclosing to the public and, you know, kind of ignoring the rest of it. Yeah, I completely agree. And to that point, her fiance, Sam, did say on Instagram that he questions producers who made these documentaries just to shed light without input or approval. That makes me wonder, would Britney actually agree to an interview with these documentaries? Probably not. That said, there's been rumors about a Britney Oprah interview. I would die. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. That 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 would be Britney's chance to get out what she has to say, what she wants to say. I think we all know Oprah would handle that very very well. That would be the interview, the event, the television event event of, of this year. I almost Sorry, kind of uh, feel Harry like, and Meghan. <laughs> I almost kind of feel like Oprah would be a little bit too brash with Britney. She she Were has you... a very specific interview style, and I think it's great for getting down to the nitty gritty. But I don't know. Maybe this is just like me wanting to to you know protect Britney and <laughs> make sure people leave her alone. <laughs> but it's kind of, you know I mean like even we saw with the Harry and Meghan interview, she was just like, "No, you're not answering my question." Like I asked you this, <laughs> she just would not yeah, let up until true. they answered what she wanted them to answer. It's a different situation though with Britney. So maybe mm-hmm. she would handle That's it differently. True. Were you silent or were you silenced? <laughs> That's the greatest part of that interview. God, oh, she's so good. I do hope that Britney does an interview with somebody because I think it is important for her to get her story out there directly from her. Or maybe period. she'll write a book. Yeah, she'll do. I bet she'll do something. She'll do something. And then we can all support Brittany by buying her book. That is the way to get the answers to your questions while also being (laughs) respectful of Brittany's boundaries and paying her because I'm sorry. Mm. It also just the math doesn't math that she's only worth $60 million or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has to be worth more. Sense. Like that whole Las I Vegas know. residency alone is probably worth $60 million. Right? Pay Brittany. Yeah. Leave mm-hmm. Britney yeah. alone, but also pay Britney. Pay her so she can do more <laughs> fashion runway shows in her very beautiful house in Calabasas. Right. Keep supporting her iPhone purchases so she has nice, <laughs> crisp videos. I just see history repeating itself here. And when when she's free of the conservatorship, the paparazzi is going to be all over her when she's going to Target and whatever else. And it it worries me. So my recommendation... I have another one, but my recommendation is to not watch these documentaries. You probably saw the one. That's enough. We get it. We get it. Agreed. Hashtag free Britney. All right, Laura, what's coming up in After Dark today on our Patreon? Well, speaking of this conversation about being hypocritical in the face of social media, (laughs) I wanted us to discuss whether or not technology makes it harder to be a moral person. This was inspired by a Vox op-ed that I read about how 
Um, technology is presenting a lot of really small changes in the ways that we interact in our day-to-day lives and how if technology weren't there, we probably would handle those events a little differently. So we're going to ask ourselves some questions that might be kind of hard to answer because I think we've all done some of these things from time to time. Yeah. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. When you pledge, you get a special RSS feed that you can pop in the most podcast apps and you can listen to the main show ad free with After Dark at the end. So it's very easy to listen to each week's content. Thanks, everybody who supports us. We really appreciate it. Hey, do you two experience the Sunday scaries? Yes, I hate it. I don't think I know what that is. Really? Oh, you're so lucky. You are very Sunday lucky. Scaries is what oh, now I'm going to tell Pam and she's going to be oh, no. she's going to be like I've had oh, it all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is your last moment without knowing what the Sunday scaries are. Enjoy it cuz it'll follow you for the rest of your life. The Sunday scaries are the feelings you have on Sundays when you're dreading the work week ahead. Oh yeah. You're like, I mean, like oh man, every the weekend's Sunday. over. <laughs> right, back to the real world, that type of thing. Well, Spotify and Headspace have a new podcast called the Sunday Scaries podcast. This is a Spotify exclusive, but Spotify, I think you can listen to it for free on Spotify. So Headspace, they're the popular meditation app. I've used them from time to time. It's a very short weekly podcast. It might be a limited time podcast. I can't see them doing this forever. But each episode of Sunday Scaries begins with a brief meditation, then some thoughts on pursuing the week ahead. For example, in one of the first episodes, they talk about frame the week ahead differently by thinking about the the good things that happened in the previous week. What were those good things? Look forward to the fact that you will have some good moments in the week ahead. It's not all bad. It's not the bad that you're that you focus on when you're going through the Sunday scaries. So I think a lot of us experience this. Check out this podcast. They're like eight minute episodes top, so it's easy to fit in. Maybe just listen to it right before bed to 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 send you off to sleep on Sunday night in a slightly better mood. Oh, I'm going to need to check that out. I feel like I always kind of mortgage my Sundays to pay for the stress that I know that I'm going to have during the week. So it kind of ends up making me feel like I only really got one weekend day instead of two. So definitely yes. adding this to my list. You mean like you kind of get ahead uh, in terms of work? Yeah. On Sunday? Yeah. Or, or even just get ahead thinking about work, you know, like (laughs) mentally preparing myself for dealing with that shit. Um, So yeah, this is going to be helpful. Uh, My recommendation is a little little more simple, but also pretty timely. Go get your flu shot. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it is time. Um, September is a great month to go and get your flu shot to make sure that you are inoculated in time for the height of flu season. I just got mine a couple of days ago. Easy peasy. And I wanted to recommend a board game called Blockbuster from Big Potato Games. They have a lot of really fun games. So if you're looking for some new stuff to add to your collection, I would definitely recommend going to their website and seeing what they have to offer. I just really appreciated this game for the heavy dose of nostalgia comes in like one of those old school blockbuster VHS cases and 
it, it is movie themed, which is really fun. And like the board is like made to look like a blockbuster parking lot. Um, you don't need to be like a huge <laughs> movie junkie with like vast knowledge of trivia to play this game. It's really user friendly for anybody that's, you know, even got like the smallest knowledge of uh, of movies and film and stuff like that. It's like part charades. There's like a buzzer involved. Um, there's some movie quote situations as, as well. And you play in, in, uh, in teams. So that's really fun as well. So uh, I would check that out if you're interested in picking something up maybe for the upcoming holiday season or just to have when you have friends over as well. Awesome. I've seen this at Target. It's caught my eye a couple times. It's really fun. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also sound off in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash millennialshow. We like seeing people offer feedback in the Facebook group as well. There's sometimes some stuff might be better sent directly to us instead of sharing it with everybody. And also, like I mentioned earlier, make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode and follow us on social media again for free. Of course, Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, Bye. everyone.